We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 172 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Scotty Sports, and of course, I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. Joining me today is another writer for Cheesehead TV and Pack-A-Day podcast favorite, Zach Jacobson. Zach, welcome to the show. How's it going today? I'm good, man. Uh, how are you? It's a little I'm- late. Yeah, it's late. We're uh, we're doing a quick episode here. We're going to probably be right around our 20 minutes today, but uh, I'm doing awesome. I thought we had some good playoff games today, some interesting storylines. Let's kind of start right there. What were your kind of thoughts and, and takeaways from Chiefs, Colts, and Rams, Cowboys today? Well, I thought, look, with the Chiefs defense being the way that it was throughout the year and how weak it was, you know, I thought the Chiefs and the Rams had probably like the two weakest defenses amongst kind of those powerhouse NFC teams. So I thought, you know, Andrew Luck would go into Arrowhead and kind of not have his way with them, but I had the Colts winning that game. But the thing is, they were going into Arrowhead. So that was the problem there. Any team that really goes into Arrowhead, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to kind of stumble, trip over their own feet because the Chiefs, they defend that home turf probably better than anybody in the league right now. And, you know, that's as far as that game goes. And that's for the, the Cowboys and Rams. I was actually – at a bar for that game. And I was just surrounded by Cowboys fans and Rams fans. And I was just sitting there in a Packers Jersey. I had to deal with a couple guys kind of making fun of the Packers for not being able to play in the playoffs. You know how that goes, but 
you know, that was um, – I was just hoping for a good game, uh, you know, out of both of those games on Saturday. That was really all I was hoping for. Yeah, way, way to defend your turf with the Packer jersey. We all appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, neither game was certainly, you know, a, a super memorable one that's going to go down in the annals of time, that's for sure. Um, you know, I thought Charles Woodson kind of made the the tweet of the day when he said, of course, now he misses in the snow in, in regards to Adam Vinatieri missing the mm-hmm. field goal early <laughs> uh, and obviously referencing back to, to Raiders Patriots back in the day. But I thought that was perfect. And I thought a player that really stood out for, for in the Chiefs Colts games was, you know, potential upcoming free agent D Ford. I don't foresee him going anywhere in, in any way, shape or form. I think they're going to franchise him or pay him a boatload of money. But man, if he got to the free agents, uh, you know, period, and, and he was out on the market, you could do a lot worse for Brian Gutekunst than going after D Ford off the edge. You talk about Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels eating up the middle and then having a guy screaming off the edge like D Ford. And then imagine if they drafted polite in the top, you know, 12 uh, off the other edge. I mean, you could fix so many issues on defense really quick. I know it's a pipe dream, but man, he's fun to watch. Yeah, you know that's that's uh, that's a Pro Bowler, you know. And if you can add a Pro Bowler to your roster, and I know I don't put much stock in the Pro Bowl, but if you can add a Pro Bowler to your roster and a former first round pick like that, you know, especially at a position like that, a premier position for Mike Pettin, that would be significant, and that would mitigate really a lot of the weakness that the Packers have at at on the edge right now. So it would also give them an opportunity to kind of do something a little different with those two first round picks they had. You know, one of them wouldn't necessarily have to be aimed at an edge, you know, but still, I think no matter what happens, even if they do land a guy like D Ford, if he does, you know, if the Chiefs, if the Chiefs do end up letting him go, or uh, if they do kind of go after one at free agency in March, I still think they probably double down and go after one in the draft. But, you know, if they can, if they can grab one in free agency, then that would be significant. Yeah, it would be, it'd be so fun because I mean, Mike Patton did such an amazingly incredible job of disguising coverages, even when he was bringing six, seven guys to try to get home uh, and, and pressure the quarterback. Imagine what he could do if he had a, a four-person line that was consistently getting to the quarterback and what he could do with coverages with six, seven you know, guys. So it'd just be so much fun if, if he had some weapons on the edge to, to create some havoc and, and wreck some havoc in the backfield. But yeah. uh, I'm sure it's a pipe dream, but it's fun to think about nonetheless. Yeah, and they had they had 31 sacks through the first like nine games of the season, and those 31 sacks came from 15 different guys. And that's yep. like you said, those those personnel adjustments, those kind of like those alignments in the scheme where they would send defensive backs kind of blitzing off the edge, defense backs coming free, you know, breaking off the guys that they're originally kind of disguised as if they're covering them. It's it's those things that kind of make Mike make Mike Pettin so kind of invaluable you know and so vital to retain you know and you know if you just give him kind of that one premier edge rusher then just imagine what this defense would be able to do it's crazy to think about yeah no totally agree and I was with you too I thought I thought the Colts were going to win that game but Andrew Luck never felt comfortable he he had a really rough game up until kind of garbage time where he was able to complete a few passes but that was an ugly performance and you know Rams Cowboys we you know I think that went kind of as expected I expected the Rams to win that one but um, yeah, you know, there, again, there was no real major takeaways here other than, you know, the Rams are good. They played a really exciting brand of offense. You know, we saw CJ Anderson break out. That might be a little bit memorable. And I just think you saw some of the concepts, you know, you saw the Rams run some of the concepts that, you know, I think a lot of people are hoping that Matt LaFleur is going to bring to green Bay. And I think that was a performance that could get Packer fans excited. 
there was one fourth and one play. I think it was in the third quarter uh, for the Cowboys. They ran Zeke. You're in like a do or die situation here, and they ran Zeke right up the gut into Dominican Sue and Aaron Donald, which I it was kind of reminiscent of what the Packers did with with Aaron Jones, backed up in their old their own goal line, and they ran Jones straight into that that to that that crazy duo right there in the interior. And I don't understand why any team would possibly do that, especially in that situation. And the whole time I was just screaming for the Cowboys to, you know, like I said, I don't have a dog in this fight. So I'm just screaming for the Cowboys to kind of just press Zeke to the outside, press the sidelines, because the, the Rams don't have a guy that can really set the edge. Kind of like Green Bay, you know, we can relate to that. Um, yep. They don't have a guy that can really press the edge, you know, and if you get bounce Zeke outside, as opposed to running him right up the gut into that, that duo of Sue and Donald, then you know, your chances your chances increase and your outlook is looking a lot better. So, you know, I was just really kind of screaming at them to do that, especially in these conditions, you know, because it's been raining here all all day, you know, all weekend so far. And it was thundering and lightning earlier before the game. You know, it's great weather, but it's it's run the ball weather. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, C.J. Anderson certainly ran the ball well, uh, you know, oh, yeah. but I would have liked to see them get Zeke going a little bit more. And I think the fact that they couldn't and the fact that they didn't is a huge reason they uh, obviously didn't win that game. So kind of moving along to some of the Packer news, we've had a lot of interesting coaching carousel type of moves in the last couple of days. Um, I know obviously uh, Tyler and Mike kind of covered the Joe Witt news, but uh, Joe Witt, of course, had been terminated as the passing game coordinator uh, James Campen, it was let out today that he's going to be interviewing with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the 49ers, of course, rejected the Packers from interviewing both Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur, two potential offensive coordinator candidates, so they will not be coming to Green Bay. Of course, Mike LaFleur is Matt's brother. Uh, Patrick Graham, who is the inside linebackers and defensive run game coordinator for the Packers, uh, he is uh, was announced today that he is a likely defensive coordinator candidate for uh, likely head coach Brian Flores in Miami. And then uh, Carl Durrell, the old former UCLA coach uh, and current Jets wide receiver coach, is going to be interviewing with the Packers for their wide receiver coach position as well. So let's kind of just run down these one by one. I kind of want to get your thoughts on each one of them. I think the one that kind of, well, there's a couple here, but Joe Witt Jr. certainly screamed out to me. He's been, you know, of all the assistants in Green Bay th- throughout the course of the last four, five, six years, I think he's been a name that a lot of Packer fans know. I think he's generally had probably a fairly good Q rating among Packers coaches. Coaches. And uh, it was kind of interesting to see, you know, not that they just let him seek other opportunities or anything like, like they flat out terminated his contract. What was your initial kind of response and reaction to that? You know, I think it was, I think it was a necessary move, you know, because, I mean, you look at those first few seasons he had as the team's cornerbacks coach and, you know, he spent, he held that post for nine seasons. And over that time he had guys like Jamal Williams, Sam Shields, he had Charles Woodson for a good while. And he, you know, he, he turned Williams and Shields, two undrafted guys, into very solid starters for that team and guys that teams didn't want to pass against and guys that were able to start in Green Bay secondary. So I think for seven of those seasons, the, his unit, I believe, ranked first in opponent passer rating. You know, they, his group was, was extremely solid. And, you know, I think that really spoke to his you know his his future and i think surprisingly enough it didn't really net him a defensive coordinator job interviews if at all uh he did an interview with the packers i know last year before they brought on mike petton but you know i think we're, he's gonna go somewhere and he's gonna land with the team that's for sure but 
I think this personally was a, it, it was a move that needed to be made because you know, they're, they're redoing the whole staff. And I know Tom Silverstein reported that it might not have been Matt LaFleur's move. It might've been more so under kind of like Pedden's jur- uh, jurisdiction, but you know, it, the last couple of years, I know he hasn't really had many guys to work with uh, in, in that cornerback position. And it was his first season as the, the passing game coordinator. And it's a really weird title. And I don't know if his, if his duty specifically changed, but yeah, it, like I said, it, it was a necessary move because that group wasn't getting better. They weren't producing the results that were expected and the results that were reflecting his first few years, 2009, maybe through 2013, I should say. Um, it was a huge drop-off. So this was kind of not in the works, but it was kind of expected, you know, especially while they reworked this whole defensive staff. Yeah, I, I like a lot of what you said there. And, you know, I think, you know, in, in regards to not having maybe a ton to work with, it should probably be noted, too, that, you know, he had a first-round pick in Demarius Randall. He had a second-round pick in Quentin Rollins. He obviously had a first-round pick in Jair Alexander this year, who is, you know, by all means turned out very well so far. But then also a second-round pick in Josh Jackson, who struggled quite a bit. So he has had some moldable talent. And, um, you know, you could argue if, if Randall and, and Rollins and some of these guys were playing their correct positions, and I would certainly say it looks like Randall's probably would have been better off as a safety and Rollins was probably overdrafted as a second round pick and Josh Jackson was never really meant to be a slot corner. So some of these guys are playing out of position, but at the same token, he has had some moldable clay kind of to work with and it hasn't worked out, you know, exactly the way is certainly the way that the Packers would have hoped it would. So I think some of that falls on him. And then I think you bring up a great point and kind of transitioning to James Campen as well. Both of these guys were Mike McCarthy hires. So Uh, you know, it, like you kind of said, being under, you know, Mike Patton. Well, it seems like, you know, Matt LaFleur is going to have control of the offense. Mike Patton's going to have control of the defense and they're going to be able to each kind of maybe bring in their guys on their side of the ball. Well, again, Campen and Witt, both McCarthy guys, uh, Patton had no real say likely in keeping Joe Witt. So they both have the opportunity now to kind of mold the staffs in their own image. And it, it certainly seems like Witt did not fit that. And we'll see what happened with, happens with James Campen. But it kind of looks like he may be on the way out as well. Thoughts on that one? You know, he was actually one of the few guys that I was hoping the Packers would retain just because he's done – he has done over the years since he took over as the, the offensive line coach in 2007, he has done such a great job with that offensive line with the guys that he's had there. I mean, when you – look, when you can have an offensive line and be serviceable with Marshall, Lew, Marshall Newhouse protecting Aaron Rodgers' blind side, then you're a pretty damn good coach. <laughs> so, I, you know, it, it speaks to everything that he's done – over the last decade, over a decade. So, you know, like, like I said, he was definitely one of the guys more deserving of, of kind of remaining on the staff. But like you said, it also kind of goes back to he's one of McCarthy's guys. And a few guys on that staff actually are, are McCarthy's guys, Whit being one of them. So it could be just them, just them wanting to completely cut ties with McCarthy, moving forward with the new regime, and kind of giving Mike Pettin a chance to kind of run his own show create his own staff and, you know, build his, his own vision there, you know, bring his own guys in. Um, but Campen was definitely, you know, there's no for sure thing yet, obviously, but, you know, he's definitely one of the guys that I'm hoping that, that they keep around. But the fact that they're letting him interview with other teams, that doesn't really bode well for his situation and him remaining in Green Bay. 
No, it, it kind of seems like the writing is probably on the wall. And like you yeah. said, it's not guaranteed. He, you know, that he could potentially still end up back with the team. Uh, David Bakhtiari tweeted out today. Uh, he didn't seem too happy with the news that Campen might be leaving. And kind of unlike Joe White, what we just talked about, talk about a, a coach who has developed a lot of later round talent. So, I mean, David Bakhtiari, fourth round pick. Lane Taylor is an undrafted guy. Corey Lindsley, I believe, was a fifth round pick. Uh, you know, obviously Brian Belaga was a first, but you go back even further. TJ Lang was a late round pick. Josh Sitton was a late round pick. JC Treader was a late round pick. So, you you know, he's worked in a lot of different guys in, in a lot of different positions, uh, taking them from, you know, college offensive tackles and molded them into guards or centers. Uh, so I think he's done a really nice job. I'm with you. I think, you know, he would be a, a strong offensive line coach, regardless of which regime he came from and which regime he's going to be coaching for. Yeah, maybe uh, Matt LaFleur has a little bit different of a vision for how that zone blocking scheme should work or, uh, you know, who knows. And again, maybe they just want to move, you know, away from the the Mike McCarthy regime entirely. But he, he's certainly been a really great coach for Green Bay. And uh, I agree with you. I think he would be great to have back. But it, it again, kind of seems like the writing's on the wall there. And also, too, he you know, one of the underrated aspects of the job that he's done with the offensive line over the years is how versatile that he's made those guys because they have had guys like Don Barkley, Lucas Patrick, Justin McCray, Lane Taylor bumped out to, to left tackle at one point. They've had guys along that offensive line that have been able to play multiple positions when needed to. Like he, he has helped them prepare for situations where they've had to step in unexpectedly in relief for injuries, you know, and that's kind of, that, that's, that's, that's a testament to the job that he's done there. Yeah, for sure. So that's definitely going to be one to keep an eye on going forward. And if he does leave who they try to get in to replace him. So again, something to keep an eye on. The next one was the 49ers rejecting uh, both Mike McDaniel and Mike LaFleur. Again, of course, Mike LaFleur is, is Matt's brother. Mike McDaniel uh, is uh, one of their, I believe their passing game coordinator. A lot of uh, high praise that has kind of been said about him. Apparently he's he's got a super high IQ and uh, really is kind of Mike Shanahan's right-hand man. He was somebody that I certainly would have liked to take a look at at offensive coordinator. Uh, but I think there's an opportunity with McDaniel that he might be on one of those coaching tracks where if he would have a really great year as an offensive coordinator this year, that he starts getting head coaching looks from other teams in uh, you know years going forward. So he he maybe wouldn't have been for long. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad Mike LaFleur may not be in consideration because I think anytime family's involved, it could get complex. If he doesn't perform up to his duties, is Matt going to be able to fire him? I think there could be some complications there. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on those two? No, yeah, I, I totally agree because, you know, you don't want to have kind of the, the family relations on, the, on that staff. That just kind of makes things a little complicated and unnecessary. But, you know, as far as Mike McDaniel goes, I, I think he would be an interesting hire. You know, the guy's thirty-five. They're kind of gonna they're gonna stick to that young, that young mold in a coach that you know, the, a lot of the league is trying to follow. You know, he spent a large large part of his career that began in two thousand five. I mean, he the guy was younger than me at the time his coaching uh, his coaching career started. So that's just crazy to think about. But he. You know, he served a majority of his career you know, as a receivers coach, offensive assistant. He's a run game coordinator for the 49ers right now. He's he's been around the horn a little bit, so he has experience working in that you know in the in offensive personnel. So I think he would be an interesting hire. Neither of these guys really kind of impact me much in terms of like, oh, you know, I wish 
I, I really wish the Packers got a chance to interview this guy, or I really wish the 49ers didn't block this guy from interviewing with the Packers. It just, you know, neither one of them really jumped out to me specifically. I'm kind of more honed in right now on Todd Munkin. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Munkin's a great choice. Uh, again, one of the concerns I have with Munkin is that he could potentially be a guy that gets a head coaching job by next year. He was the Packers runner up by all reports, and uh, apparently he interviewed well throughout the league. So uh, I think he could be looking at a head coaching job, whether it be in college or whether it be in the pros by next year. So would it be one of those situations where you only get one year of him? Um, whereas maybe a Nathaniel Hackett or a Sean Ryan, the, the quarterback's coach from the Texans, who is just a guy I like that there's been no reports of them actually interviewing him, unlike uh, Hackett and Monken, who they, they're both looking at. But, um, it, you know, a couple of those guys, I think, would be, play, you know, coaches who would be around for a few years and, and potentially not go anywhere, which I like that consistency. But you get the opportunity to bring a Monken in and marry some of the concepts and what he did. He was uh, a really a, a mastermind between uh, with a lot of the explosive plays that Tampa was able to create, whether it be with a Jameis Winston or whether it be with a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now they have explosive receivers, of course, Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Goodwin. But, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, he would be a really bright mind to bring in and, and bring some of the concepts he had in Tampa and marry those with the ones that, uh, of course, LaFleur is going to be bringing in. So I'm with you. I think both of those would be better candidates than what, you know, potentially McDaniel would have been. But uh, again, interesting to say the least that the, the 49ers were not interested in letting either of those guys go. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan wants to keep his staff. He doesn't want doesn't want any, you know, one of his, his protégés to have any part of it. That's for sure. But I mentioned it earlier today. One guy I would say to keep an eye on, not, you know, I don't have anything official, obviously, and I don't even know if the Bengals will let him go. You know, I don't know what, what his situation is as far as remaining with the team because I know they're reworking their whole staff right now. They're letting a lot of assistants go. But I think it would be kind of interesting to bring on Alex Van Pelt hmm. just because of his, you know, obviously he has that history working with Aaron Rodgers. He's been with, with the Packers since 2012. And prior to that, he's always he was an offensive coordinator for the Bills, a quarterbacks coach. You know, with the Bills, he, you know, he has that previous experience as a player as well in the '90s and the 2000s. He, he, you know, he knows what they're trying to do, and he knows Rodgers. And I know Rodgers would probably be elated with that move. He would love it. And of course, we all know everything. You know, everything that transpired after Van Pelt was let go last year at the beginning of the year, and. You know, all the reports that came out of Rodgers is pissed off with the organization and, you know, they didn't tell him about Van Pelt not getting his contract renewed, blah, 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 all that nonsense. But, you know, if the Bengals do happen to let Van Pelt go, I personally would not be opposed to maybe bringing him on. But I know they don't want any ties to McCarthy, you know, previous McCarthy assistants. And he also looks like McCarthy, so that's like a double negative. (laughs) It is. Uh, I like the idea potentially as a quarterback's coach. My one concern is if they want to bring, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur in as a potential guy who's going to be that quarterback whisperer and kind of start rebuilding Aaron Rodgers and giving him new direction, would Rodgers use that relationship with Alex Van Pelt as a crutch and kind of go back to some of the things that Van Pelt did? Now, it'd be a phenomenal olive branch, certainly, uh, to build that relationship and say, hey, we're going to bring back Alex Van Pelt, somebody you really like. You know, I certainly think it would do that. But I think if you're trying to get Aaron to go in a different direction and, uh, and again, maybe rebuild him to an extent and with certain concepts and certain things that he does, maybe it wouldn't be the best idea, but it would be interesting to see how it would play out one way or the other. I think when you have, 
when you have like an offensive minded head coach like Matt LaFleur, there's less of an em- of an emphasis to bring in a pure offensive coordinator, like a pure guy who's just going to focus specifically on the offense and, you know, drawing up those schemes and everything along those lines. So I think you can get away with bringing on a guy like Ben Pelt to have him work with Rodgers, kind of function, you know, whether it's as a coordinator or as a quarterback's coach. I think either way, him and LaFleur, you know, find new ways to mesh, find new ways to reach Rodgers, conjoin ideas. You know, that's that's the basis. That's the whole basis, the whole premise behind the Packers right now, behind what's going to make them successful moving forward. If if LaFleur and Rodgers can mesh, if they can get along and kind of, you know, branch out ideas, kind of bounce ideas off of each other, then that's going to help them moving forward. That's going to kind of determine their success as as a duo. Now, you bring in Van Pelt, that's just the third guy in the mix. That could throw off kind of the, the consistency of the whole thing, but that's just another guy to help, you know, Help help stir the drink a little bit, I should say. You know, it, it's you know, it's, and it's especially if it's someone who knows Rogers as well as he does, and someone who Rogers trusts as much as he does. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up great points, and and you you kind of uh, convinced me a little bit. I think there could be something there. Uh, you know, like you said, again, marrying those concepts between what Rogers brings and Lafleur brings. That's something Lafleur brought up in his introductory press conference. So, uh, yeah, I I think there there could be some merit there. So, really really interesting name to kind of keep an eye on going forward. Uh, the last two moves, uh, again, that we touched base on, Patrick Graham, again, the inside linebackers coach and defensive run game coordinator, likely uh, to be named potentially the, the defensive coordinator for Brian Flores in Miami. And then Carl Durrell, the current Jets receivers coach, potentially uh, interviewing and, and potentially getting that position for the Packers. Thoughts on either of those moves? You know, Patrick Graham, I mean, he just he just spent his first year with the Packers, so I don't think that's necessarily a significant move. And I'm not a big fan of the whole run game coordinators, pass game coordinators, but he was also an inside linebackers coach. So they, the Packers would be losing a guy in there. Um, but like we mentioned earlier, you know, that's that's another guy with a tie to McCarthy. And they could be just completely doing away with everything that has to do with McCarthy, everything that has to do with the pass regime. They just want to move forward, move ahead with this one vision. And that vision is going to be under LaFleur's umbrella. Now, the wide receivers coach, I, you know, it's, I was never a big fan of David Rye, Ray. I had never, I never figured out how to pronounce his name. <laughs> doesn't matter always, anymore. Yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> yeah, but, and I, apparently, you know, some of the, the reports that came out after the season, you know, talking about some of the players frustration with him, you know, but he didn't seem too highly perceived in Green Bay. And the fact that he's gone after one season, you know, that, kind of attested to that a little bit. So I think if you can bring in a guy who has experience playing the position and experience coaching the position, then I think that's a plus. Uh, yeah. And, and especially with a young, a young unit right now, like what the Packers have and it, depending on if they draft another receiver, which I'm assuming they do sometime within the first couple of rounds, fingers crossed, then that that's going to be beneficial, you know, just having that experience and, you know, experience goes a long way. That's also a big reason why LaFleur kept Petten on his staff, for example. You know, because he, he said it himself. That previous head coaching experience is going to help him in his first year as a head coach. So if you have some young guys like Marquez Valdez-Scanley, Equinemius St. Brown, Jamon Moore, or whoever else they draft in April, you know, having a guy with experience at that position, you know, whether it's coaching it, whether it's playing it, 
that's that's vital, you know, and that's really important in development. Yeah, with with Darrell, I think, you know, a couple things I like there, like you said, the fact that he has that head coaching experience. I think if you have that, you know, again, you know, Matt LaFleur obviously never had that head coaching experience. So, again, the more guys you can add on the staff that have that type of experience to fill in some of those experience gaps, I think that's going to be a really strong opportunity for for him to fill in those. And I think Darrell goes a long way in doing that. And then the other thing, I take a look at a guy like Robbie Anderson that he developed, pure speed guy who's turned into a really nice receiver. You take a look at a guy like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and, and a, you know, they're not a, exactly the same player by any stretch of the imagination, but super high speed guy, ton of potential. Mm-hmm. And I think if he was able to develop Anderson, I'm hoping he can maybe do the same thing with MVS. And if you can make him, uh, I think he has the opportunity, obviously, to be a better player than Anderson long-term. But if he can put him on that same path and use that same program, uh, I'd be all on board with that. I think that'd be a win in and of itself. Ugh, combine him with Todd Munkin. Get some deep shots going down the field. Oof. It starts. Oof. It starts getting really fun really fast. It really does. Oh man! All right. Uh, any final thoughts on kind of the, the any other coaching uh, buzz or rumors you heard, or any other uh, you know kind of candidate that you'd really like to see come into Green Bay? As of right now, you know, like I, like as far as like you know maybe like a replacement for Joe Witt. I don't have anybody necessarily in mind, but you know, I, I think. We're going to start seeing a lot more news kind of seeping out within the next week, you know, possibly even on Sunday, just because LaFleur, he wants to get his staff assembled as, as soon as possible. You know, the, the combine is right around the corner, the whole scouting process. I know those guys are hard at work. It's all going to get here as soon as possible, you know, really quick. So they got to have their staff in place. And like LaFleur said during his, his introductory press conference, you know, he wants to get things done as soon as possible. He wants to get his staff assembled as soon as possible and, you know, he he mentioned that he was going to get started the second that conference, uh, that press conference ended. So he wasn't kidding about that because I think that the next day Petten was retained or it might have been actually. Actually, I'm not, I don't remember. I have dementia or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have any specific candidates in mind right now. But like I said, within the next week, we'll know for sure who who's coming in, who's going. Yeah, I think, uh, and I mean, another thing to remember too, as of Monday, there's going to be four more teams who have potential candidates that'll be available now too. Yep. You know, obviously with the Colts losing today and, um, you know, I, you know, it's just going to be, you know, four more, four more teams that are available to, to kind of pick candidates from. So, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be great. And then obviously the Cowboys losing as well. So we'll see who win or loses on Sunday and, uh, you know, some more coordinators and potential uh, coaches will be available. So, Things to keep an eye on. Any uh, thoughts on uh, Sunday's games, who you think might win, and any storylines you're keeping an eye on? Uh, no storylines necessarily, but I did uh, – okay, s- Saturday I picked – well, no, actually for the whole weekend, I picked the, the road AFC teams to win, and I picked the, the home NFC teams to win. So I got the Chargers winning in New England tomorrow. I think that 0-7 record Phillip Rivers has against Tom Brady is moot because quarterback wins isn't a stat. <laughs> let that let that let that be on the record and i have the saints defending uh the superdome tomorrow i had the uh, i had the same four picks coming into this weekend obviously the colts was incorrect but uh i had the same four picks we'll see how tomorrow turns out 
And uh, yeah, I think I think tomorrow's games are, and, you know, obviously people will be listening to this uh, podcast on Sunday. I think Sunday's games are going to be much more interesting than than Saturday's games were. And I, you know, I think I think New Orleans has a you know chance to maybe run away with that, but I'm not. I wouldn't bet anything against Philly at this point. They just keep seeming like a team of destiny over the course of the last couple of years. Just the weirdest oh. thing ever with Nick Foles. God, he's, really he's, having the, he's having the Eli Manning run where he's just this completely average quarterback for the most part. And then he gets into the playoffs and he just gets hot. And it's just weird. It's crazy how that stuff works. Yeah. It, it just goes to show you this, the sport is just insane. And we are, we are lucky to be covering it. We are lucky to be living it, living in the time of Nick Foles. It, it we, we certainly are. <laughs> and it's just crazy of, of all these young, amazing quarterbacks, these up and coming quarterbacks, you know, uh, you know, of course you're Patrick Mahomes and you're Deshaun Watson's and you're Baker Mayfield's and everyone else. It's Nick Foles who is in the spotlight and continues just to win games, regardless of what else is going on around him. Just unreal. If he goes into New Orleans on Sunday and if they manage to win, which, like I said, I pick the Saints. I don't think that happens. You know, I think the miracle comes to an end in New Orleans on Sunday. But if he does that, then the guy he has to have like a statue built of him. You know, even if he doesn't win in the NFC Championship and he doesn't get to the Super Bowl, he if he goes into New Orleans and wins, and the Saints go one and done, then that's oh my god, immortalize this guy, build a freaking statue of him outside Lincoln Financial Field. That's that's it. He probably he's gonna have a statue right next to Rocky if he keeps it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's way too late. All right, time to shut things down, Zach. Any final thoughts for today? I need to go to sleep, Andy. (laughs) I do too. Uh, I think this is going to be the the shortest podcast I've ever done, but uh, I'm excited. I think we had some great, uh, you know, conversation in regards to some of the coaching moves and some of the shuffling on this staff. I'm excited for Sunday's games. I think they're going to live up better than today's did. Thanks so much for joining me on uh, short notice. I appreciate all the work that you do. You keep rocking it and uh, I appreciate it greatly. You too, brother. Thank you for joining me on short notice. <laughs> that's, that's true. But either way, this is a blast. I love doing it. Thanks so much. Of course, if you don't follow Zach already, make sure to do so. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach A. Jacobson. You can follow me as always at Scani Sports. Follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Tune in tomorrow. Guess who's going to be hosting? Me again. I can't wait. I'm efforting a guest or two. If I get one of them, it's going to be really, really cool. You're probably just going to be stuck with me talking about random things, but it's going to be awesome, I promise. So either way, tune in. And uh, until tomorrow, thank you for listening. And as always, Go Pack Go. From the 16 of New York, first down, Golden to Rodgers in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end. And a dagger! They beat Morris Playboard to the back line of the end zone. The Packers have won it. Snap to Wild. Oh, yes! And taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown! Geronimo and what's by Geronimo Allison! Josh Jackson, the rookie, recovers in the end zone in a Lambeau lead to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down and three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Pepper looking, as he throws it, deep down the right sideline, and intercepted. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers, looking right. Throws the right side, deep Brown makes the catch. Nice
Ball 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Yes,